Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Upstream Podcast with Tidelift. I am here today with Annie Rewarda and Sumana Hariharswar. I practiced that like five times this morning, and we've known each other for like 15 years. And We've known each other a long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know. But it's um, fine. Uh, we'll work on it. We're here today to talk about joy and human communication and apparently getting each other's names right. But I think joy and human communication are our primary themes today. And uh, so the two folks I have uh, with us today are people who I think have taken some things that we sometimes think of as maybe a little on the dull or the nerdy side and tried to bring to public attention or even internal attention the ways in which this stuff is fun should be fun can be not just like fun in sort of a wholesome i am glad in my soul kind of sense but in the laugh out loud funny kind of sense uh, which i just think is so valuable and so important and a story that open source and open culture don't tell about themselves nearly as often as they should so i'm very excited about uh, today's podcast. So we'll start uh, with uh, Sumna, who has been involved in open source for a very long time in a very large number of ways. These days uh, is the principal at Change Set Consulting and has a, uh, a and and has a newsletter on uh, uh, on the ways in which we work with maintainers, deal with maintainers, support maintainers, and what it means to be. A good maintainer, I think. Did I hit all the key uh, points there? Thanks. Uh, I think, yeah, it's about, uh, I would say that, you know, I try and share a few times a year resources on certainly how to be a better open stuff maintainer, but also how to be a better partner to open stuff that you depend on. Yeah. And sometimes I share links to, you know, my stand-up comedy about being in this open tech world and so on. Right. I mean, so let's I mean, let's talk about that a little bit, right? Because uh, there's, you know, your day job is in some sense, like, I mean, you do a lot, for example, of program management uh, to help large projects, including a lot of stuff from the Python Software Foundation, ship software. It's this inherently fairly serious kind of thing. Uh, but then... When you show up at uh, at conferences, you're certainly qualified to talk about like let's walk through the issue tracker, uh, and instead, or as well as that, uh, you're doing like you know one act plays. Uh, this is not what I tend to go to tech conferences for, but also, uh, but what a one act play? This sounds awesome. Like tell tell our listeners a little bit more about that. So, in my experience you know, we've been doing conferences uh, in the tech industry for many years, right? Decades and decades. Um, and one way that I described it to friends is I feel like often the presentations and the sessions you see, you experience at conferences, they often inherit from the class academia in the sense of, okay, there's someone on a stage teaching you something in a very expository fashion. Uh, maybe there's sort of a workshop, which is like a hands-on lab. Uh, they often inherit from the class industry. You know, maybe there's a demo or there's a, you know, a panel that's also somewhat academic and so on, but they very infrequently inherit from the class theater. And 
we have for thousands of years known what you do when you have a stage and an audience. Uh, and we know some things about how different media are good at different things. Plays and stand-up uh, are particularly good at evoking empathy and uh, simulating experiences so that the audience can understand why someone would have a different point of view, uh, reflecting emotion. And uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, especially the interpersonal stuff, right? Uh, those delicate vulnerabilities and, and negotiations and, and things like that. Uh, I would say that uh, I, so I also not only have done stand-up at conferences and performed in plays at conferences, but I also a few years ago co-created a play festival of performance art at the big Python conference, PyCon US 2019. And in the call for uh, performances there, we said, like songs and cartoons, narrative art can encapsulate wisdom in stories and characters and use entertainment value to help audiences retain that wisdom. Um, visual and performing arts such as dance and music are ways to share experiences that go beyond words. So I think that uh, that's the serious way of talking about what I'm doing, but also it's so fun. I have enjoyed performing for an incredibly long time, since practically as long as I can remember. And I get a great jolt out of getting an audience response while I am performing. And even in my serious talks, there's a lot more laughs per minute usually than there are in uh, a lot of other people's regular talks. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's a great, you know, uh, I think Annie... Uh, with depths of Wikipedia, you have almost become, I, I mean, you, you've become well-known, you've become a writer, uh, you know, somebody who the media talks to on this stuff about bringing- yeah, which is very silly. <laughs> I, I mean, you have to have a, you have to be able to laugh about it, right? Um, I mean, you, I mean, so I'm an, uh, I was about to say an ex-Wikipedian, I'm very much still a Wikipedian. Uh, I just don't work for the Wikimedia Foundation anymore. You know, it's funny. I mean, I think uh, Wikimedians have a very well-developed sense of humor in jokes amongst themselves. Yeah. You're maybe one of the first people to bring that to a broader public awareness, right? Because uh, I think this, I think the stereotype of Wikipedians is uh, that we're the there were like dry nerds who well, right like persnickety librarians enforcing a bunch of rules which is sort of is but also i think people don't always understand that there's like a lot of young people a lot of really goofy people there's like wiki projects that connect people you can like send the wiki love and th those are like very very small examples of the community but also there's like discords there are i mean i talked to a um college freshman in the Philippines who's like oh yeah all my friends are from all around the world because um there are people that I connected with um during quarantine on Wikipedia and so he's friends with like Tavi the guy who's um like a I don't know a Scandinavian teenager who maintains like the the login system making it I forgot the name of it but um OAuth login system or something oh, uh -huh. um there are yeah, meetups in the New York Times. Stephen Harrison wrote an article about um, one of the 
people who writes a lot about New York City subway stations. Um, and he was a teenager or maybe early 20s. But he had this quote like, oh, yeah, you know, editing Wikipedia kind of gives me the same rush as playing a video game. But instead of winning a high score or anything, you know that you're putting information out there for everyone to read. Um, and I, I'm butchering the quote a little bit. But yeah, I do think that it's definitely fun. And there's lots of kooky personalities. Oh, yeah. I gotta say, you know, when you mentioned the the feeling of, like, people socializing with each other, right? I remember, uh, you know, more than a decade ago when Lewis and I both worked at the Wikimedia Foundation, there was an editor motivation study, right, where we found out that really quite a lot of contributors to the various wikis, this was one of their major forms of socialization. Um, yeah. And you see that. You see that in... The, the talk pages and the various discussion for it. And yeah, now off the wiki as well. I remember the learning how to feel that way about one of the first open source projects that I got really, really into, which was the GNOME desktop environment, um, where, you know, this the desktop environment, in a way, it's a very intimate thing, right? Every time one uses a desktop, there's all these, you know, windows and icons that are right there as part of just the, the environment of your work and possibly personal life. And I remember realizing, oh, every time I look at this feature or that feature, or even sometimes when I run into a bug, I would know, oh, yeah, such and so made that, you know, oh, I remember when she added that feature. Oh, I know he's working on that. Um, and I felt like my community was there with me every time I opened my laptop lid. And I remember uh, saying that uh trying to develop on a closed platform is like trying to fall in love with someone who won't talk to you <laughs> <laughs> i mean that oh yeah that emotional feeling is very real i mean annie what's you know i mean you you've correctly pointed to others but for those who are not familiar what kinds of stuff have you been doing to i mean or, or how did you get started with communicating out that like hey, Wikipedia can be pretty funny. Okay, well, I don't have that cool of an origin story, mostly. I just, like, made a few one-off edits um, throughout my adolescence, you know, fixing typos, adding people to my high school's notable alumni, which they were, I never, like, purposely vandalized or anything. Um, and then, but I was a little too scared to do big edits because I had seen the talk pages. People were always linking to bizarre acronyms, and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for all of that. But I can definitely, like, you know, fix this comma splice. Then I started spending more time reading Wikipedia, like, the list of unusual articles, stuff like that, during quarantine, posting them on Instagram. Just became, like, I just was screenshotting, posting. My summer research job got canceled because of COVID. Just spent more time on Wikipedia. I worked at the night shift um, at a nursing home in the COVID unit. And when there were patients with COVID, they also had dementia. So sometimes they were very confused and it was very busy. Um, so then I was, I did not have time to sit around, but other times it was the best job ever because they wouldn't no one, if no one had COVID, it was just me sitting in the back being there ready in case somebody got COVID. And so lots of times I would just sit in this like very dismal looking nursing home office and like, go on Wikipedia and post trivia. So anyway, for whatever reason, the Instagram account kind of took off. I started posting stuff on Twitter. Then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm such a fake fan. I only edit for typos. I only had a few, I mean, I only had a few hundred edits um, and they were all very like small. 
so then I got more into it and I started like writing articles um I still am not that big into like some people are so passionate about like having discussions that shape the future of the site and I still think that's cool and sometimes I'll like you know do that but what what I think is a lot more fun is like content editing, updating old articles, um, sometimes removing articles. Um, so yeah, I really like content editing. And I think that um, there are all sorts of Wikipedia enthusiasts out there that are on the internet, on social media, that have not taken the leap to become contributors. And there is very easy to convince them to like, you know, take the leap. Um, so it's been fun to do that. I mean, and I'm also a- like, I'm 20, I just turned 23. Um, so I just graduated from college. So, I mean, does that mean you have more time on your hands or less time on your hands? Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I like feel like I have less time on my hands because, um, of, you know, like working at a job. I was working 20 hours a week at a climate job. I was kind of mentioning this before the recording started, but I recently got a book deal to write about funny stuff on Wikipedia. So yeah, thank you. Thanks for the claps. So I, um, I will no longer be working at the, the climate nonprofit. Um, yes. And Sumino was saying, congratulations for fixing climate change. <laughs> I'm all done. I did it. Sounds yeah. like it. I mean, we we will actually have some guests talking about open and climate in upcoming uh, episodes of the podcast, because I do think there's some really interesting stuff to say about that. But it is maybe not on the more fun side of uh, things. There's there's certainly plenty of grim news there these days. But I mean, I think that's, you know, even the folks, uh, my favorite, I, I mentioned this to you, Annie, I've mentioned this to a lot of people over the years. One of my favorite Wikipedia articles is Toilet Paper Orientation. And uh, this is an article that uh, sounds utterly silly and is utterly silly. And I have never wanted to look into detail into like how this was written because it would sort of spoil it for me, right? It's got like 200 citations. It has incredibly detailed historical references, (laughs) drawings, pictures. It's almost like a pitch perfect. I've always assumed, and again, I I don't act, I'm not sure sure I want to know. I almost think it was written on a dare, right? (laughs) Like two Wikipedians, like, I bet you can't make a good article about toilet pipe orientation and somebody else saying, I bet I can because it is just pitch perfect. Like it has that Wikipedian tone and style. um, And yet is of course, utterly absurd because it's an encyclopedia article about toilet paper orientation. And I think there's something that that article tells you about similarly for a long time. uh, There's some great articles about the heavy metal umlaut. um, And uh, which is now just the metal umlaut because somebody decided in a very Wikipedia name that there was no uh, evidence for it being called the heavy metal umlaut except on Wikipedia. You know, there's something about that, the the way that Wikipedia lets you work on both very serious stuff, right? Like the, the folks who write articles about climate change are like no joke heroes of the modern age. Uh, but yet also you can find the time or the energy, or at least you know the person who wrote the metal umlaut or the toilet paper orientation, right? There's something about that community of shared 
I don't know, both shared seriousness and also shared joy, right? I mean, assuming that we've got plenty of examples of this, well, maybe not plenty, but I remember this was a conference that I think you were at that after hours had a dramatic reading of bug reports. Sure. And uh, with, with live piano accompaniment. Right. And uh, it was, uh, you know, we were able to find the, it, it was a social lubricant, right? It, it well, made I've sense. definitely, yeah. yeah. I've in my, in my standup, I have read aloud, uh, you know, less productive emails I've received. <laughs> uh, that, that made various accusations towards me that, uh, that I disagree with. Uh, you know, uh, being able to kind of compost the, the gross stuff into something fun is one of the things that, you know, I think Annie's work and my work can have in common because um, I'm sure, Annie, sometimes what you're pointing at is not just, uh, oh, look, this is just pure fun, but there's like a context to it that makes it that takes a gross thing and makes it fun well i think it's just like when you mix highbrow and lowbrow sometimes that's funny like if you're on a stage presenting at a conference and you do something like silly um then that's there's humor in that or if you have this like very buttoned up um encyclopedia that's known for like having a formal tone and then it's discussing sexually active popes that's funny um so I think that is great. The thing that you were talking about with the dare of like, hey, I dare you to write an article about toilet paper orientation reminded me of something that I just um, heard about. And there's a Wikipedia like uh, policy page about red links. Um, and so if something perhaps deserves an article but doesn't have one, you'll still link to it, but the link will be red because the page doesn't exist. On the um, like policy page about what is a red link, they have examples of red links, but the problem is that they have to update that example all the time because people see the red link and they're like, oh, easy peasy, let me just quick make that. So I was just looking. Um, it used to be history of the Jews in Arizona. Somebody made an article, so now it's elections in the Canary Islands. Um, and so if you want a Wikipedia article to get created, um, one of the best places to put it maybe is the, uh, the Wikipedia colon red link article. That's, and, and I, bet it, I bet if you looked at that over time, it's gotten progressively more obscure, right? Like whoever put that in first, it must've been that that's amazing. You know, I mean, I, I Annie, I mean, this depths of Wikipedia, I think one of the things that blows a lot of people's mind is also the breadth of Wikipedia, right? That it covers so many different things. Uh, do you ever play with that or see? Well, yeah, I mean, I found an article yesterday, feral parakeets of Great Britain, um, something that I supposedly like could have realized was a thing, but would have never actually thought about if there had not been an English Wikipedia article about it. Um, but yeah, there's like, I think 6.6 .6 million, maybe now I can round up to 6.7 million articles in English. And that's just English. There's like, what, 300 something languages? Sorry, Sumana wants to talk. <laughs> yeah, I, I, okay. I think I noticed a thing you did there where you said there's an English Wikipedia article about it instead of just saying there's a Wikipedia article about it, which is also something I do to try and subtly remind people that there are hundreds <laughs> of Wikipedias in lots of languages. Is that what you were doing there? Well, yeah, I mean, I yes, think that yes. uh, if you're just like, you know, Joe Schmo from like Ohio or something, you may not know that there are 
there's a Wikipedia for more languages than there is Google Translate for. Yeah, I mean, that's something that uh, that that's and each of those for listeners who are not familiar with Wikipedia, each of those languages has its own set of rules and its own cultural norms around what is an encyclopedia article, uh, what's an appropriate way of approaching their own design, Wikipedia. even like if you look at like French Wikipedia, that looks different a little bit. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's really and, and, interesting. And I mean, I know that uh, the policy stuff means that. Well, okay. So I think of like the Wikimedia properties, as it were, you know, the Wikimedia sites as like a giant archipelago, you know? And that means that new innovations can sometimes start in one place and just stay there until someone else looks. But also, it means if there's harm happening, then some of the islands are more affected than others. And some of them kind of have a heads up, like, oh, this is happening over there. And we have a moment to like prepare ourselves before it gets here. Or we can say, nope, nope, we're not going to let that thing happen to us, actually, maybe on a policy level, maybe on a, you know, institutional level. So that's a, you know, a strength. And also it slows down change across all the sites, which is good and bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's some real challenges there, though. I mean, some real, like you say, it does allow. Well, I mean, though, certainly some of my favorite moments of humor are when you try to explain that to somebody who's trying to work with all of Wikipedia and oh, is boy. not uh, the look. The look of sheer horror on. I, I once had a conversation with somebody about. They're like, "Well, I need to understand how to like use software to extract citations," and I'm like, "Well." There's seven different citation formats on English Wikipedia. And then on German, there are like 12. And they're like, what do you mean? They're separate. They're different on German than in English. It's like, oh, yeah. Uh, and they, they, you could just see them like this, this cool idea that they had. They just got progressively more crustfallen. They did eventually implement it, uh, actually, which is great. But I, I want to, you know, I think that one of the things that I wanted to talk with you both about, I think particularly you, Annie, there's this um, communicating that culture to people who didn't fall into it in some way, shape or form. I mean, you've been doing live stage shows about this kind of stuff. Do you ever talk to people afterwards? Do they, uh, do you think they leave with a better appreciation of what Wikipedia is if they're not Wikipedians themselves? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the goal. I mean, I am not, you know, like I, I just I just care a lot about Wikipedia. I would never promote vandalism, but I do try to get people to laugh. Um, I think that like some of the inside baseball type jokes that Wikipedia editors have with each other, they sometimes think that they will translate well to like a um a layperson, and they really just do not at all. Um, like puns about an acronym or something like A N I, like that people don't care, you know. Um, but but other things, I think like. Yeah, like joking about how much people can care about something that's really silly, like whether to name the article corn or maize um, and some of the arguments that come up in that. That's kind of like always funny because it's like, oh, there are people that care about something that I've never really thought about. But now that I'm reading these arguments, I kind of care, too. So, wow, it just really illustrates something about human nature, which is that we can get ourselves to like feel very passionate about really dumb arguments. Um, but 
what was the question? Oh, do people leave with more appreciation? Yeah, I mean, hopefully, I think they do. I, I um, like often will poll the audience to see if people edit Wikipedia, and I am perpetually surprised that um, most people don't. Most people have never made an edit. Yeah. Yeah, most people don't even realize they, or at least back when I was at the foundation, twenty eleven to twenty fourteen, most people didn't realize they could. Right uh, when we thought about how to get more people contributing in any way to the sites, including uh, uploading photos to commons and things like that, right? There was this idea of the minus one to 100 project where we wanted to get more and more people to the state of having made 100 distinct contributions to the site, but they had to come not just from zero, which is having made none, but minus one, which is the state of not even realizing that you could, which probably the vast majority of humans who have ever interacted with Wikipedia, English Wikipedia or any of the Wikimedia sites were at that stage and probably still are. And so getting them to, oh, I could edit, and then getting them to their first contribution and then getting them past that were distinct things that needed distinct interventions on social, on uh, you know, interface, on backend, you know, all these different fronts. You know, Annie, I I want to I want to pull back to something you were saying. Uh, I mean, Sumna, we could go into the whole the like how you make those transitions is a whole is a whole thing in both open source and uh, in uh, and in Wikipedia. But I, there's something you know, Annie. You you said I would never encourage people to uh, to vandalize. I'm, I'm so sorry you cut out a little bit because my mom called me. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, I was just, I mean, say hi to your mom. Um, oh, I hung I said no. I said, mom, I'm busy. <laughs> um, I, I, now I sort of want to ask what your, what both of, what, what your mom thinks about uh, your interest in Wikipedia, but we, let's put a pin in that one. The, um, you were saying, hey, um, I would never encourage people to vandalize. And I feel like there's this, uh, Catherine Marr, who's the ex-executive director uh, and a friend of mine she i remember her a couple years back tweeting a there was some particularly funny vandalism and it was and she like tweeted about the particularly funny vandalism with a like vandalism is very 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 bad and also this is hilarious right i feel like that's one of those like the funny vandalism is almost like a i don't know a gateway drug to the funniness of the rest of Wikipedia, right? Because it's something that we've all seen passed around on social media and uh, it's almost ritual now, right? Like if somebody wins the uh, sports championship, the you know key players or coaches get vandalized in hopefully funny ways though that particular joke is played out. I don't know, what, what do you think of the, I mean, do you ever use the, again, you're definitely not encouraging vandalism. All of our readers out here should know, uh, all of our listeners should know that, that you should definitely not vandalize. But are there funny vandalisms that come to mind? Or, um, I mean, I just don't think they're... F <laughs> After cleaning up vandalism a lot, I just don't think... It's, it's just like the same joke. And like, I don't know, people sometimes point out, like someone put Paul Ryan on a list of like spineless or like invertebrates or something like that. Like, I, I don't know, that one was a creative one. Um, but ultimately, like, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm too much of a cop of vandalism to like laugh at it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I guess I used to laugh. Um, I used to think it was really funny. Um, there's, there's this one Twitter account called Wikipedia, but I made them up where they just like 
completely like take the Wikipedia template, but like butcher all the content, but they don't actually vandalize. They're just doing that in inspect element. And so to me, I think that's kind of funny. Like they did a title and it was like, it was like, I am going to die disease. And it was um, like, I have a little mosquito bite on my ankle. That was the whole text of the article. Um, And so just like using the format of Wikipedia, but like basically just having a joke to me, that's funny, (laughs) but actually yeah yeah yeah, fake wiki articles so you know we have had uh so i I read a lot of sci-fi and so we'll see like in the sci-fi space especially um people write fake wikipedia articles fake encyclopedic articles as a form of story right um there's a somewhat famous one called lena about uh the first mind ever to be uh, uploaded as like a human ai thing Mm -hmm. um there's uh I, there's a number of like in the, the sort of epistolary form, right? Like there's this grand tradition of like fake primary documents, fake, fake documents for a fictional world. This is one of those. Um, you see, I think there was a, a fake, like, you know, a fictional wiki article about time travel, which is obviously a really hard thing to like write an in a world Wikipedia article about like, okay, how do you deal with verb tenses and things like that? Um, and those, yeah, like they're using, they're, they're uh, playing on our, understanding of like wikipedia is this social construct that we are all familiar with so they can piggyback on that uh like fan fiction right and um then uh but they don't obviously actually hurt people who are using wikipedia because they don't change they don't vandalize right the they, it doesn't interfere with people's desire to be able to depend on this infrastructure of knowledge it just plays on it the way that fan fiction for most people, does not actually interfere with their understanding of the, the canonical work. I was going to say something, Lewis, about when you said, okay, we don't encourage people to vandalize. I have a like back of my head hypothesis, and Annie, I'd like to understand what you think about this, that you know, to a lot of people who have never had a person like you encouraging them to edit, that active editing is itself transgressive, right? It's not a thing they feel encouraged to do. They feel like they're breaking in already. They feel like they're breaking in by editing at all. And so uh, vandals are like, like you're just gonna get more vandalism that way because the only people who feel like they can edit are people who are okay with breaking norms anyway. Yeah, I think um, that's really interesting. And somebody named Megs, the head of Wikimedia NYC a couple months ago, um, said something like that. Like the, you know, some of the best editors are reformed vandals. Um, Also, I think like, yeah, the whole hacker ethos that really dominated Wikipedia in the early days. Um, I wonder how much that still lives on because when you're uh, a new editor, you have to follow like pages and pages of norms and guidelines. And some of them are so important that if you break it, you get blocked and others don't matter at all. And no one follows them, but it's written on some policy page somewhere. And so navigating that is kind of hard and you um, really have to be like, you can't be afraid of making a mistake um, if you're going to contribute. Um, somebody, Something interesting is that um, Jorm, J-O-R-M, um, who has a real name too, but I'm forgetting it, but his Wikipedia username is Jorm. He was saying that um, people like with various degrees of seriousness have talked about inserting typos into Wikipedia specifically so that it encourages new editors, um, which is interesting. I remember and... someone mentioning that on Foundation L or Wikimedia L. I would remember, I could look it up and figure out who it was, but it was someone who was like a board member, I think. Yeah. I mean, it, th- this, you know, I, I think one of the challenges is that it is seen as this 
uh, perfect is too strong a word, right? But it, but it is an essentially serious thing. And I, 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 I love this notion that like, you actually have to see it as a human approachable thing. And I think- you Annie, get over uh, your uh, edifice complex, right? Right, oh, I, I wasn't sure if we could get all the way through this without one terrible pun. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this like, yeah, this notion that everything we do here is extremely serious. I mean, it's good in some sense, right? I mean, it, it, it helps us get credibility. It helps us be seen as a resource that's actually trustworthy. But yeah, then of course it is. I mean, if Wikipedia is this like thing on a hill that only, you know, you need you need all the credentials and you need all the knowledge in order to edit, you need to sort of pierce that balloon a little bit, right? And certainly, you know, Annie, I think that's what, for a lot of old-time Wikipedias, old-time Wikipedians, I think what a lot of them, us, uh, love about what you're doing is that it does make it visibly human again, right? In a way that... There's an administrator named Sammy whose Wikipedia user page says something like, Hey, welcome to Wikipedia. Glad you're here. Like Wikipedia was created by um by like people just like you and me. Or by Wikipedia was created by a bunch of people just like you. And the just like you is in italics. And I remember seeing that and being like, you know, just like by my whole like physical comportment changed. Like I was like, whew. Like, okay, good. It's not just like, I don't know, like IQ of 200, like crazy, like rule abiding um, people. It's just real people. Um, yeah. Some of whom, as you pointed out, do really like rules, but all of oh, them no, but... also like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a society of Stroopwaffle addicts. Stroopwaffle being a sort of like uh cookie i guess for uh, yeah <laughs> no and um, like, but they like that, that. To, like a normal extent like it's like you can you can work with it it's not it's not it's not too crazy that you can't add right so so that that aspect of like um the emotional vulnerability right of thinking i am a person who could contribute to this and of going into this unknown gauntlet right of oh no what if this thing that i made isn't good enough what if the people who review it are not just uh, critical of the work, but critical of me, right? What if they're contemptuous of me in a really hostile, exclusive way? Um, Annie, I think you should do a play about it uh, because uh, I did a play, uh, I, I co-wrote and co-presented, uh, you know, co-started a play called Code Review Forward and Back. That was about a very similar dynamic of different ways that people in a software organization could be when they review each other's code. And which is a very, again, like an intimate moment of like vulnerability and you could be helpful, you could be contemptuous, you could be unsupportive in that, no, I'm sure it's fine, Wait, which is not actually supportive. You know, laissez-faire can actually set someone up for a worse failure than, you know, proper criticism at the right time, et cetera, et cetera. And so we showed not only what those moments can look like but also what the long-term effects are by showing sort of these flash forwards in the future of, well, what situation are these people in if they made these mistakes in the way that review happened earlier? Um, and that conveyed to a bunch of people what it's like from both sides, right? Including people who have, it was a long, long, long time ago since they last had their work under the microscope kind of for the first time. 
And I remember someone said to us, oh yeah, I used to be that guy and I'm trying not to be anymore. Stuff like that. So uh, if you wanted to uh, kind of present both sides of that, I think something like a play would be a wonderful thing to do. Well, now well, we know what you're doing next after the book. You're going to be all off right, Broadway. All right. Play time. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I remember there was a Wikimania where they had like a puppet show sort of thing with um, with like talk page debates or something. Excellent. Kind of re- reminds me. I was at the Amer- ACPT American Crossword Puzzle Tournament last week. And they have a like a parody song every year, apparently, about crosswords. Unfortunately, I was boozing a bit the night before and missed it. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't admit that. I shouldn't admit that here, but <laughs> no, no. I, I think actually that's I, I think, oh, that's another thing. Wikimania is like I'm always astonished by how many different people have said to me. Wiki, the Wikipedia community, the Wikimedia community, when they get together, there's such a party atmosphere. People are like throwing back shots at Wikimania. Um, oh, yeah. It's definitely very fun. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I, Suma, I don't know if you've attended any weddings at Wikimania. I think I've only attended oh, one. I don't know if I've had a chance to attend any weddings at Wikimania. No. And yeah. every time that I went to Wikimania, I was part of the Wikimedia Foundation, uh, which, you know, means that there's a particular level of propriety there, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, uh, speaking as a former deputy general counsel, I would not know of any rule breaking that went on at such events. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think again, this question of uh, humanness in all of it, right? Yeah, people go, they party, they have fun, they get married. Uh, people <laughs> definitely bring kids, right? They're like, this is my wiki baby. I met, you know, my partner at a uh you know at a wikipedia event of some sort and now we have a wiki baby like that is a very <laughs> real people fall in love people i assume get divorced i, I can't recall any such stories off the top of my head but oh i can but the I can ultimate deletionism <laughs> uh but yeah you were i i don't know if you want to tell that story or not but i i have i definitely have heard a story of a wikipedia divorce um but i am not I just don't think that's my story to tell on a public podcast. So, <laughs> well, I mean, well, let's go. I mean, you know, I, I think one thing that we've been sort of edging around here, right, is that these are uh, coding and uh, writing Wikipedia are human pursuits. And so they have all of the human foibles and you know, you have rule making and you have rule breaking, you have weddings, you have divorces, you have babies, you, you have deaths, right? I mean, we had, there was a, there, the club of people who has attended every Wikimania, get, you know, get smaller for health reasons, uh, not just because of, of other things. Uh, and people, you know, mourn those passings in a very real human way. And I know, Sumna, one of the things that you're, that you have, um, that you and I have talked about some over the years, and Annie, I guess, you're about to become a participant in this to some extent, is this question of how do we present these things in popular culture, right? So Suman and I are both fans of this book called The Bug. It's a novel uh, by uh, by Ellen Ullman. And it's a novel about um, a, a programmer dealing with a bug, debugging a bug, the stress that it causes them, the like 
you know, the, how they take it home, how they can't get it out of their head and the joy of, of finishing the bug. Right. There's not a lot of that kind of culture out there, but I sense that, uh, you know, it does more and more permeate, right? Like as the digital becomes more of our lives. Uh, and again, Annie, I mean, I think what you're doing is very much part of this is like reminding people that it is human, uh, and, and I think that's, I think that's terrific. I don't know. I mean, and Simona, I think you've, you've thought about that one a lot. Anything you want to I add? have. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I have more been focused. I think, you know, Annie, your work and my work is, is different in, in quite a number of ways. One of them is you make work both, um, meant for Wikimedians and the general public, you know, uh, you're talking to, you know, insiders and outsiders, you know, you're doing that translational work. I'm really not mostly. Most of the uh, the stand-up and the, um, you know, things like that, the, the plays and the zines and everything that I do, I'm assuming that I'm talking mostly to other people who are already in open culture, open source, open data, open hardware, open stuff in, in some way. Um, I think that the translational work that you're doing, you know, there's this great, uh, there is a great history of it in, um, you know, like XKCD, you know, Randall Monroe. Uh, yeah, I and... was just going to say that. <laughs> I was going to bring him, bring him up. Yeah, yeah, Randall, um, you know, uh, Ryan North with Dinosaur Comics, like those the yep. web comics of like the early 2000s. But uh, before We're that... A, wait, this is just me bragging, yeah. but I'm in a Zoom Jeopardy group with a bunch of web comics people. And so I play Zoom Jeopardy with them every week. That's awesome. Um, and it's the, it's probably the highlight of, of my life. <laughs> okay, that's excellent. Very yeah. fun. <laughs> so I, I think, uh, so I wrote a blog post a while ago and I, I think we'll put it in the notes about, um, okay, what are like the missing stories in all this? You know, we when we do tell stories to the world, you know, uh, movies, shows, books, plays, songs that include programmers and programming, they really rarely speak to the joys and sorrows of our experiences. Um, so many movies that have programming in them, really, they're just spy stories with extra typing or people getting rich stories with extra typing. But they're not about the uh, what it's like to make stuff and share stuff, really. And uh, so I made a list of like, OK, what are some stories you wish that people would tell about programming that we, they would put and halt and catch fire? is one of the closest I think there's been. I did not watch Mr. Robot. I've heard very good things about it, but halt, or Silicon Valley, uh, but Halt and Catch Fire is up there. Well, I think like the emotions of programming, um, I would love if that was on the big screen, if that were on the big screen, because I did like four or five programming classes in college. And I remember the first one, I was like, oh my gosh, I am the only one here who feels sad who feels sad that my code isn't working. And then when it worked, I was like, you know, elated over the moon. And I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta tamper this down. Everyone in this library is very, you know, they're, they're just working hard. They're not really feeling anything. They're just thinking, um, but you have to feel things. Uh, yeah, Annie, I think uh, there is a paper by Piaget I'm going to be pointing to you, pointing you to about bricolage programming now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about just like an approach to uh, allowing for the fact that, yeah, people have feelings and we should let those be present as we're learning. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a whole, there's definitely research on the impact of not letting those emotions into uh, programming courses, right? 
you're not the only one who has felt sort of like alienated but the fact but then you like get into like actual programming in the field and there's absolutely this like oh what this horrible thing i hate it it doesn't work and you know people use very strong language there's actually a great paper the other day showing that uh uh code with more curse words in the comments um was actually higher quality code and mm -hmm. the now the theory you know they they couldn't prove a causal relationship there but the author of the paper was like maybe it's just because the people who curse a lot in the comments care more uh, and I, you can't really curse in the, you, there's no, I mean, I guess the talk page, maybe, uh, for the, for those of you who have never, who are listening, who've never edit summaries, to... people do that in edit summaries. Oh yes. True. Edit summaries. Mm. Uh, you know, I think there, I, I, I would need to look this up. This is in the, oh yeah. I, I saw a headline about a paper once kind of territory <laughs> of it's like a campfire story, but for us, um, <laughs> you know, for, for like educated people at the campfire story as well. I, I, I heard a headline about a, a science study, um, but really it, it was watching it, a TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> um, that like cursing when you're in pain really does reduce the amount of felt perceived pain. So um, you know, the pain of going through a programming exercise that you're very unhappy about, you know, you got to put the pain somewhere. It's better to put the pain in the comments than to put the pain into bad code, right? So <laughs> how, how about, um, I want to ask about, Annie, whether um, conflict, you know, when we think about the, like, the emotional negotiations around conflict in, in open stuff, um, I would love to better understand what mediums do you think we should be exploring? Like what mediums aren't we using yet that we should use to help people understand that, that aspect of it, whether it's like games, novels, you know? Okay. So you're quite, you're asked, you're asking what mediums should we be using to expose people to like open source conflict and discussion? collaboration sort of to like to explore to explore like what those experiences are like you know so that whether it's reflecting to wikimedians and, and open source contributors or to like the general public you know mm, i don't know i don't <laughs> i'm not a very good person to ask i really like reading i think that like cartoons are the best you know like web comics that cartoon sort of things i'm just like a big <laughs> like kelvin and Hobbes brings me to tears um quite frequently or like the far side so i love things like that that really like boil down all these emotions into like six words and a line drawing um yeah zines i don't know that, like the comic zines yeah. that people are doing now you know yeah i yeah. really like stuff like that and, and then i know some people um they really like like fictional plays or yeah, it's like what you were saying like fictional plays or like musical numbers i have never really dipped my toes into that sort of thing but maybe that could be interesting. I mean, mm -hmm. Silicon Valley, I put off watching that show for a very, very long time because it was, I just knew it was going to be too close to home. And it does, for better and often for like painfully worse, really capture a lot of the, uh, and to their credit, they did, I, I remember talking with some friend of mine about there was a very, the second season of Silicon Valley is in part about startups suing each other and being sued by large companies. And I'm talking with a lawyer friend of mine about it. And he's like, Oh yeah, look in the credits. I was a consultant on that episode. 
And it was like, uh, he's like, yeah, some of the, I wrote some of the papers that are on his desk and I like explained to the, and I, I was like, what? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, there is something I think about humor getting across. I mean, there's this one, there's this one episode where um, one of the main characters is dating somebody else and they, uh, anyway, they, uh, and they're a great couple and then they break it off because they realize that they use different uh, code editors and uh so it's vi versus emacs like that is literally the like and they were actually able to i think communicate that to normal people in a way that i mean of course it's exaggerated and so i sometimes talk to people who are outside of our space they're like wait but is that real like people do really do people really get in fights about like their editors and i'm like yeah they really do um uh, there is something to that idea of yeah. communicating through other mediums through humor I mean, annie uh i think uh there's a cartoon called saturday morning breakfast cereal yeah so good it's so good and it has been and particularly of late has been very much about uh artificial intelligence and machine learning and i think touching some sort of raw nerves about like what is all that going to mean for us right uh, for our humanity as the robots come and get us or whatever, right? In my stand-up recently, I said, when I was talking about the uh, like the inflection point we're at with machine learning, I said, uh, it can be hard to come up with jokes about this that don't turn into nihilism or startup ideas. Whew. I feel like that, I'm, that should just be the tagline for this whole episode. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I, and actually, on that note, we do uh, we have been going for a while, and I, I do want to wrap this up. What is it that makes you? I want to end by talking a little bit about what makes you excited and optimistic about the future, because, like you say, so many ways to become cynical, become nihilistic in this space. Um, but both of you two are uh, good at finding these silver linings or, or finding this joy. What's the biggest thing for you right now as you look to the future? Okay, I'm feeling really excited about the future because I just wrote an article um, about the teenagers who are like really big Wikipedians who may not be very forthcoming about their age. Um, and so I've been on the phone with these like very precocious, very responsible, um, articulate people who are like, oh yeah, also I'm 15 and I can't talk until football practice is done. Um, and then they're like, you know, in between their college classes writing about like, I don't know, like maybe they're like 18 years old and they're writing the article like indictment of Donald Trump or um, the timeline of, or maybe it was the article um, glossary of COVID-19 terms that was written by um, like a like a high school junior who was bored during during online classes um the GameStop short squeeze that was an article written by a teenager who was bored during online classes um I just think it's exciting because yeah sometimes it feels like Wikipedia's culture is so you know like old and it's been around and it changes very slowly but also there are all these like young people who are really excited and who are contributing a lot so that is what makes me very hopeful about the future It's a hard one to follow up on. I appreciate it. I think uh, literally talking about the children are our future is, uh, it is hard to hard to follow because they literally are. Um, but also all of us uh, of, all, of all ages 
the tools that we have and our ability to make and use those tools to help each other, it does get better. And sometimes it gets better by leaps and bounds in, uh, in, a, in a mycelial way, right? The, um, the zeitgeist around mushrooms is like everywhere right now, like in, in all these different sci-fi and fantasy, like TV shows and movies and around like the, the metaphors that organizers are using, um, the idea that uh, we uh, help each other in a rhizomatic way uh, where um, it, it is impossible actually to, in the, as the Tumblr meme goes, you cannot kill me in a way that matters, right? Um, and that feeling of, well, we can help each other in the most decentralized possible ways and we have better and better and better and better tools to do that, I think is, that is something that helps me and gives me hope. There, um, there's a short story by Malka Older called Shared Data about uh, data cooperatives and how they can be used by people as as the rate of natural disasters increases and reaches more and more places that had been somewhat more stable uh, when it comes to climate and weather. Um, our ability, our need to help each other increases and our, our ability may increase also if we have uh, and use the technology that many people are developing and that leverage uh, that I think can be less hyped than, oh, look, this big company raised a big amount of money from some other entity with money to make an ad thing. You know, like that gets hype and, oh, like there's this way that people can decentralizedly share information about uh, resources that they could use to help each other. You know, that's like getting less hype, but it's there, it's growing. A lot of people are working on those tools and, and using them to, to help each other. And we're envisioning with things like fiction, like Malka Older's short story, oh, how can we do that? You know, in that design fiction, think tank fiction way. Uh, and I like to believe that the, you know, the narrative fiction that, that I contribute to makes like the tiniest amount of difference there as well. Uh, I gave a talk uh, through the GitHub office of the CTO a while back uh, that was also like, here's three scenarios, three fictional composite scenarios of how we could do better, how open source could be healthier in the future, right? I think, uh, so I posit some ideas and I'm like, well, here's what it might take. Here are the tools we need to develop, social tools and digital tools to get us from here to there. So that collective imagination and the work that is, you know, inspired by it and inspires it, like that uh, is a very complex thing to say, but it gives me hope. Oh, I, 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 well, I mean, now I need to find some science fiction authors to invite on. Um, that is, uh, that, that's a lovely note for us to end on, because I do agree with both of you that there's... Uh, and the children. Yeah, well, yeah, and the, and, and the children. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I, I, Annie, we, we had the occasional, when I was on the legal team at, at Wikimedia Foundation, there was the occasional, like, can we invite a 14 year old to Wikimania? <laughs> and, uh, and we always did try very hard uh, to work with parents and work with immigration and things like that, because yeah, it's very real. It is that passion. Uh, some amazing, I mean, Molly uh, White, who I had on the podcast recently, I first met Molly when she was probably 17 and she became an admin when she was 16. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I met her because she was an admin, because we flew out a group of admins to the office to, like, have, I think it might have been the first face-to-face, -face, like, admin-only meeting. 
and uh yeah and 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 even then her energy jumped out right and and it's awesome to hear that there's another generation and that they are you know i think we hopefully we're leaving them with some tools uh both emotional and technological to keep doing that kind of stuff so thank you both so much for your time today i really appreciate it and uh look forward to uh to seeing more of both of what you do in the future so thank, thank you so much Thanks for having us.